Welcome to Harvest. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. As Chris said, the first Sunday of 2021. Um, so you are batting a thousand this morning. Congratulations. And uh, we want to just continue in that spirit of worship right now to just dive together into God's Word. So grab your Bibles with me and uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6 is our text for this morning. Um, so let me kind of set this up for you. So this whole year, we have been uh, in this theme of taking new ground and looking at how God wants us to continue to follow him and walk with him and take new ground in our lives, in our community, in our church. And uh, today, we want to kind of turn that maybe a little bit more inward um, as we look at in this whole next series for the spring, how do we take new ground in our minds? How do we take new ground in the inner parts of our workings, in the inner parts of our lives that then affects everything else. And today we're going to be starting this new series called Destroying Strongholds. And um, I'll be honest with you, this, this verse that this, or this passage we're going to look at this morning has been one of the most influential passages in my own life and that God has used in my own growth and in my own sanctification. And so I am so pumped to get to share this with you this morning and then see where this takes us for the next several weeks and what God's going to do in our lives as a result of that. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're starting out this morning. Um, I was doing some research this week as I was preparing for this and thinking about um, war. And in 1992, there was a group of academics and historians that compiled some really startling information about war in the history of the world. Listen to this. Since 3600 BC, since 3600 BC, the world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period, there has been 14,351 wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. The value of the property destroyed in war is equal to a golden belt around the world, 97.2 miles wide and 33 feet thick. Since 650 BC, there's also been 1,656 arms races, only 16 of which have not ended in war. The remainder ended in economic collapse of the countries involved. So when you think about those statistics, when you think about that reality of our world from really before time began up until now, the question I have is why? Why do we see so much war continuing to go year after year all over the world? And I think from a historian standpoint, if you really look at it, war is ultimately about control. Right? It's about who's in control, who wants to be in control, and how that's meted out. But all of that, as we think about all that physical war that's happened over the last centuries and decades, it really actually pales in comparison to the spiritual war that has literally been raging every day 
since the first sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. There has not been one day of peace in the spiritual war of the human heart since that moment of the fall. Because there's this constant battle for control of your mind and of your life that is raging nonstop between you and the evil powers and Satan in this world. And that's what Paul's going to talk about this morning here in 2 Corinthians. And so here's kind of the big thought that I put together based on this passage. Whoever controls my mind controls my life. That's what Paul's going to teach this morning, that whoever controls my mind controls my life. And therefore, as Christians, as those who want to be followers of Christ, we have to give Jesus control. And so we're going to look at this morning, what does it take, what's it look like to give Jesus control of my mind and therefore my life? Now, before we jump into the text, I don't want to just jump right into chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians without you having any background here. So let me give you a, a quick catch up on the Corinthians and the Corinthian church and how we got to chapter 10, okay? So in the New Testament, there's two books named after the Corinthian church. Those are two of Paul's letters that he wrote to them. Um, based on what we can kind of cobble together from that time period, this is probably just two of multiple letters that Paul wrote to them. It wasn't just these two. He probably had multiple ones in the sequence. These were just the only two that made the Bible, okay? And so, but as you look at Paul's letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians compared to the rest of his letters to the churches throughout the New Testament, these are by far some of his hardest, you know, harshest, direct kind of letters to the churches because, just to be honest, Corinth was jacked up. Right? Like, the Corinthians had some problems. Um, they struggled with pride. They struggled with sin. They struggled with false teachings. And so they had a lot of stuff that Paul had to deal with and had to correct and so all throughout the first and second Corinthians, he's dealing with all this stuff and, and calling them on the carpet, if you will. Um, but then we get to chapter 10, and it's kind of a turning point in the letters, specifically in the second letter, where now he's kind of taking his attention off of the church at large and their problems for a second, and he's actually going to turn and address the specific group that have come into the church since he left that are now attacking him. Right? They're attacking his leadership, they're attacking his teaching, they're attacking his credibility. But what Paul sees in their attack is not some personal vendetta, not some you're after me and it's me versus you. He sees their attacks for what they truly are, which is spiritual warfare. And because of that, his response to them is not as someone who's demon-possessed or Satan incarnate. He's not putting that on them. He's simply addressing them as some who have given their minds over to evil, sinful, demonic teachings that are opposing him, opposing Christ, and ultimately opposing the gospel. And that has to be addressed. And so while addressing them, Paul actually gives us some of the most specific, most detailed teaching on how to handle spiritual warfare in all of the New Testament. Just kind of snuck in right there in the middle of 2 Corinthians. And what Paul says to us as we look at this section is that spiritual warfare 
Despite what many would say today, despite what many churches or books or teachers might lead you to believe today, spiritual warfare is not primarily about Satan or demons or the evil culture or the world. Spiritual warfare is most directly related to, it's centered in the mind. It's not all the stuff out here. That might have a contributing factor, but that's not the main place spiritual warfare happens. The main place it happens is right here, in our minds. And that's where we have to fight first. So with that in mind, take a look with me at chapter 10, verse 1. It says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So let's pause there. The first point this morning, the first thing I want you to see about spiritual warfare is this. Wage spiritual war. We as followers of Christ have to wage spiritual war. So let me kind of break down what Paul's talking about here, because again, it kind of jumps in, assuming that you already know some things that you might not know yet. So the first thing he does here is he addresses the first attack against him by his attackers, which is that he's humble when he's face-to-face, but he's bold when he's away. In other words, whenever you're here in person, Paul, you're all like meek, gentle Paul, and then you get away from us and you write these really harsh letters, you know, calling us out on stuff, and you're like, you're like two different people, right? You're, you're, not, you're not treating us the same. And Paul's response is, yeah, I am humble with you when I'm in person because I'm trying to show you grace. But if you can't get your act together, next time I come, I won't be so gracious. And I'll bring the heat just like I'm bringing to you in the letters. So he addresses the first attack, but then he gets to the second attack, which is really the main thing he's going to talk about here, which is they've accused him of walking according to the flesh. And when they say walking according to the flesh, what they mean is that Paul is living a sinful life that he's walking in this this sinful double life of a hypocrite, of a false apostle, that he's he's motivated by pride or greed or lust for power or whatever it is, and that he he acts one way all holy when he's with them in person, but then when he gets away, he's a completely different person, and, and he's this hypocrite, and he's not truly a man of God. That's the main attack that they're leveling at Paul here that he's going to address. So they accuse him of walking according to the flesh. And look at his response. He says, yes, we do walk in the flesh. What? <laughs> did you, Paul, did, Paul, did you just agree with them that you walk in the, like they just, are, are, you, are you agreeing with them at this point? What Paul's actually going to do with that word flesh is do kind of a play on words here. They're accusing him of walking in the flesh in the moral sense. Right? That he's walking this, this sinful double life. What Paul is admitting to here is not that he is walking or living in sin, but rather that he's walking and living as human. He says, yeah, we walk in the flesh. Yeah, we're human. I'm imperfect. I'm frail. I'm weak. I fall. I sin. I struggle just like all of us do. Paul's not trying to come at this as some big high and mighty, I'm better than you. And he's like, no, no, I get it. I'm flesh too. 
I'm still human, and that's why my strength is not in me. That's Paul's point with admitting this. Paul, if you've read Paul's letters at all, you know Paul knew he was a sinner. <laughs> like he doesn't make any bones about it. Let me give you some scripture for that. Second, 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says this. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul's like saying, we're all sinners and I'm at the top of the list and that's okay because Jesus came to save us by his grace. We don't have to pretend that we're not flesh. We don't have to pretend that we've got it all together. We can admit with full transparency that yes, I am a broken, frail, sinful man and that's why I have Jesus. In Romans 7.15, he talks more about this. He says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And he goes on in chapter 7 to talk more about that, where he's talking about this struggle inside of us that even after we give our lives to Christ, even after we're followers of Jesus, there's still something inside of us that's drawing us back and trying to pull us back into the flesh. And there's this thing that we, where we do things that we don't want to do and we don't do the things that we do want to do and this is just a constant struggle and fight because it is a war that we're in when it comes to spiritual things. And Paul knows it. And Paul knows that he can't fight sin in his own power. And he goes on to say, he says, yeah, we walk in the flesh, but we are not waging war according to to the flesh. So from this point on in this section here, Paul changes his language to this war language, this, this warfare language. He says we are waging war. Because Paul knows, again, when it comes to evil, when it comes to sin, it is war. It is a fight. It is a battle. You are not going to overcome sin in your life by simply sitting back and taking it easy and hoping everything works out. It is an active process of fighting a spiritual war that's raging inside of us. But, as Paul notes here, the war against sin, the war against evil, cannot be won with human weapons. You and I, we can't win this war by our own devices. So oftentimes that's what we try to do. We rely on human things like reason or human wisdom or logic or plans and strategies that we come up with or ingenuity, technological advances, philosophy, psychology, politics, wealth, persuasion. All of these things are not from the Lord per se. They are human devices, things that we have created, things that we have come up with to try to organize our lives and deal with our problems. But none of these things have any effect when it comes to spiritual warfare. They may be of some value in dealing with things in the physical life, but when it comes to the spiritual, they cannot defeat evil they cannot transform lives, and they cannot sanctify hearts. These human weapons only work in the physical. They have no lasting impact 
in the spiritual world. Because they're flawed. Because they were devised by humans who are flawed. Because those humans have minds that are flawed. That are broken by sin. That are part of the flesh. And therefore anything that we can come up with to try to fix the sin problem in our lives is ultimately not going to work because it's coming from our broken minds. I heard a pastor say it this way once. This statement was super helpful to me, and I'll kind of unpack this here, but he said this. He says, when it comes to the mind, you need to know this. Don't believe everything you think. Swallow that for a second. Don't believe everything you think. Because you see, here's what the Bible says about the mind. Let me give you just a list here of of words and verses, and here's the biblical picture of the human mind. This is, even, this is a partial list. This isn't even the full list. Number one, confused. Deuteronomy 28.20. Number two, anxious and closed. Job 17.3-4. Number three, it's evil and restless in Ecclesiastes 2.21-23. It's rash and deluded. Leviticus 5.4 and Isaiah 32.4. It's troubled in 2 Kings 6.11. Depraved in 1 Timothy 6.5. Sinful in Romans 8.7. Dull in 2 Corinthians 3.14. Blinded, 2 Corinthians 4.4. And corrupt, 2 Timothy 3.8. That's not a real encouraging picture, is it? (laughs) Very, very different than the picture that our world would have you believe that the human mind is and is capable of. And the reason our minds are this is because our hearts are wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And our mind is fed by our heart. And so if our heart is evil and wicked, guess what that does to our mind? It corrupts it as well. And because of this, we are really good at regularly lying to ourselves. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. How often does your mind fool you into believing that whatever you're doing is not a big deal, not a sin, you're good, just keep going? Right? Our own minds lie to us. When it comes to sin, when it comes to the things of this world. And yet, so often we think that all of our thoughts must be true, right? Because they're my thoughts, they come from inside my head. Obviously, if I am devising this, then that's the reality of what it is. And we assume that whatever we think is true and real, and that's what it is. And all the while, our minds are broken and often deceiving us into believing wrongly, believing and depending on flawed, broken, worthless human weapons of our own making. As I was studying, I was doing some research, I found this little um, illustration, if you will. So I found out that there's only one nerve 
that runs directly to our brains, and that is the optic nerve from your eyes, right? But here's the thing I found out about the optic nerve, that the brain actually sends more impulses forward to your eye than your eye sends backwards to your brain. So therefore, your brain is literally telling your eye what to see. And this is why whenever you have like an accident or a crime and you get eyewitness testimony and you get four different people who saw the exact same thing, you get four different completely stories. Because constantly our brain is telling us and communicating and it's filtering everything that's happening and it's telling us what we think and what we believe. And oftentimes it's not accurate. So don't believe everything you think. Because the mind is flawed. So every Christmas, we just celebrate Christmas, right? So every Christmas we get a family present for our, our family. So just kind of something we can all kind of do together as an activity or something we can have fun with together. And, a, a, and a, a few years ago, the plan was we got a bunch of Nerf guns. And the plan was we're going to do Christmas, we're going to unwrap the whole thing, and then we're going to turn the entire house into a giant Nerf gun battle, Right? And so we got all the guns out, we got them ready, and we got it going, and it lasted all of about two minutes until one of my girls got hit with a Nerf dart and started crying, and then it was over, right? That, that was it. Um, but we still have all the Nerf guns around our house, and they're still helpful. They're still kind of fun. Courtney and I can't quite work through an argument. They're just kind of taking a little frustration on each other. Um, but, but as fun as it is to play with Nerf guns, if tomorrow I was drafted into the United States Army and sent overseas to fight a war against another country, this is not what I'm taking with me. Can we agree? Right? Like, this is not what I'm going to war with. I need the big guns. I need the big, powerful, real damage kind of guns if I'm going to be going into a real war and fight. Because this isn't going to do anything. If it looks real enough, it might scare them for a second, but it's not going to take long before they figure out that this has no impact. It has no potency. Paul is saying the exact same thing about spiritual warfare. Our human weapons, our plans, our strategies, our philosophies, our ideas, they're Nerf guns when it comes to spiritual warfare. When it comes to dealing with these spiritual issues, they're going to give temporary relief at best. They have no power to defeat evil, to transform lives, to sanctify hearts. Only God can do that. And so what Paul's going to teach us here is that we need his power. We need his weapons if we're going to wage spiritual war. So the reality, my friends, is this. I am in a spiritual war that I cannot win on my own. Every single one of us, every human ever born, except for Christ, is in a spiritual war that I cannot win on my own. Same goes for you. And yet, we have to wage spiritual war if we're going to follow Christ. So how do we do that? That comes in the next section. Look at verse 4 as Paul continues. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That is such a great verse. You should, you should underline that. If you don't, I don't know if you write in your Bible or not, but you need to write that in your Bible right now. Underline that. Underline it in your neighbor's Bible if they're not doing it, like whatever it takes. You need to memorize this verse. Second point today is this. Destroy strongholds of lies with truth. Destroy the strongholds of lies in your mind with the truth of God's word. Let me show you what I mean here by Paul's language. He says that we're not waging war with human weapons, but weapons of the flesh, but we have weapons of divine power, God's power. In other words, we're going to reach up into heaven and we're going to pull a weapon out of God's arsenal. We're going to bring it down here and we're going to use it for our spiritual war. So Paul, what are these divine weapons? What are we looking for? There's actually multiple ones in the Bible, but the one that's most important, the one that he stresses the most here and in other places is the truth of God's word. The everlasting, undying, unchanging truth of the word of God. That is our primary divine weapon that we have in spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, just earlier in the same book, he says this. He says, by truthful speech and the power of God. See him tying those two things together? Truth and power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Like, Paul's coming into war double-barreled, right? Like he is, like I've got it in both hands. We are going to war with the truth of God's word. Another passage where Paul talks about spiritual warfare is Ephesians chapter 6, where he lays out the armor of God. Many of you have probably heard that before. It's probably the second most powerful passage on spiritual warfare in the New Testament. And in that list of all the armor of God that Paul lays out there, there's only one weapon that he gives us to offensively fight against evil. And that is the sword, which he calls the word of God. This is our primary weapon, the truth of God's word. Spiritual war in the mind can only be fought with the truth of God. That's what we need. That's what Paul's talking about here. And he says, with this weapon of divine power that we will destroy strongholds. Now, let's talk about the word strongholds for a couple minutes here. So the word strongholds in the Greek literally means fortress, right? Like, like think like a castle, or I got a picture here of maybe something similar in that day, right? And so back in that day, everybody who lived in ancient Near Eastern cities would have known what he meant when he said fortress or stronghold. Many of the cities were their own fortress. They would have walls all around the city protecting them. If they didn't have that, they would have a fortress or a a stronghold up on a hill next to the city that would be defending the city with these high walls and these big towers where they could see the enemy coming and they could shoot their weapons down and they could be protected from the onslaught of attack. But what's interesting about this word fortress is it can also mean prison. And if you know anything about ancient Near Eastern war, oftentimes that was the strategy that many would take as the opposing army would come against the fortress, they would surround it and they would take it captive and they would hold it siege for months or sometimes even years, basically trapping the people in the fortress into a prison. where They couldn't get food, they couldn't get supplies, and they would literally starve them to death 
until they surrendered. Because they were stuck in their own fortress that was supposed to protect them, that they thought was their saving grace, that they thought was going to hold them up, actually became a prison for them in the end. And right here, when Paul's talking about destroying strongholds, he tells us exactly what those strongholds are in the next verse. You see this? He says, destroy strongholds, destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. So Paul's telling us these strongholds that we have to destroy are our own ideas, our own philosophies, our own worldviews, these these lofty opinions and arguments that we have built up in our minds to protect us and to keep us and to hold out against the truth of God. When I'm thinking through strongholds, I think there's, there's two varieties of strongholds that we put and that we build up in our minds to protect our sin and to keep God's truth at bay. The first are worldviews, right? There's many different worldviews today that people will adopt and take in and build their lives on and build their minds around that are opposed to the truth of God. Materialism, hedonism, Darwinism, secularism, relativism, false religions, atheism. All these things are worldviews that are opposed to God's truth. And we take those and we'll, we'll, we'll believe in one of those and then we'll bring it into our mind and we will build our lives around this stronghold, this fortress of here's how I see the world and therefore anything opposed to that is out. And they stand against the truth of God. There's a second one, a second variety of strongholds that maybe is even more prevalent among Christians and that's simply personal attitudes. Things that, I'm not buying into this other worldview, but I'm holding on to some things in my heart and in my mind that I don't want to let go. Like worry. Like seeking approval of others. Guilt. Fear. Resentment. Insecurity. Pride. Really anything that could be an idol that we are running after and that we are pursuing rather than pursuing God can become a stronghold in your mind. Because it builds itself up to protect the thing that I'm worshiping instead of worshiping God. And those are the strongholds that keep us stuck in patterns of sin, even as followers of Christ. And Paul says that these strongholds, with the divine weapons, that with these strongholds, we have to destroy them. I like that word. It means to demolish. It means to tear down, to completely annihilate. Not one brick left standing on another, completely gone. He doesn't say we're going to damage the stronghold, right? He doesn't say we're going to manage it and just try to make do. He doesn't say we're going to ignore it and just kind of hide it away over here. He says we are going to destroy strongholds. Because that is the only way to win spiritual warfare in our lives. Completely 
destroy. Leave nowhere for sin and evil to remain, for it to hide, for it to control us. It says, we have divine weapons to destroy strongholds. And then he follows up with this. Once we've destroyed it, once we've torn down every wall, every brick, he says we're going to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Taking every thought captive literally means to take it prisoner. Like, imagine tearing down the walls, marching into the fortress, and then leading out the, the, the opposing forces at the tip of your spear, right? Like, marching them back to your camp to make them submit to a new king. That's what we're doing. Tearing down the strongholds, walking in and grabbing those sinful thoughts and those, those rebellious ideas, and we're leading them back to Christ at the tip of the spear and saying, you will submit to my Lord and my Savior. Nowhere do you get to hide anymore. In Paul's scenario, he is addressing the evil thoughts and the, the, the strongholds of his detractors, right? Like he's actually talking to these people who are attacking him. And he's saying, you have some strongholds. You have some, you have some false ideas here that you need to deal with. But this doesn't just ring true for other people, right? This rings true for us as well. Way before I need to deal with anybody else's strongholds and stuff, that I need to deal with the ones in here. And so just as much as this applies to Paul's attackers, it applies to all of us as we're dealing with strongholds in our minds. And I've said this to you before, but you need to remember this. No one preaches to you more than you do. No one preaches to you more than you do. We all have this little voice in our heads that is just constantly on. You know what I'm talking about? Right? You have that voice that is constantly telling you what to think and what to do and what to believe and what is true and what is not true. You hear your own voice more than you hear any other voice in your life. It tells you what to think. It tells you what to believe, what to feel, what to do. And too often... That inner voice is preaching ideas to you that are not from the Lord. And so we have to rise up and take those thoughts captive and make them obey Christ. Not just somebody else's thoughts, my thoughts. Spiritual warfare is in the mind. That's where it starts, in our thoughts. And the only way to take captive our rebellious, sinful thoughts is to do it with Christ. That's the only way you win. Rebellion ends when truth prevails. You've got a rebellious spirit. You've got a rebellious thought. You've got a rebellious something inside of you that's leading you into sin time after time after time. The only way you get victory over that is to let truth prevail in your mind. How many of you remember the old saying, um, garbage in, garbage out? You heard that before, right? Whether that be from your mom or grandma or computer speak or whatever it is. The idea is that basically it means that whatever you put in your mind will control what comes out of your life. 
And this isn't just like a good moral thing from your mom. This is actually a biblical concept, right? Proverbs 15, 14 says it this way. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. You put in, uh, underst- you put in knowledge, you're going to have understanding. You put in folly, you're going to be a fool, right? What goes in is what comes out. Psalms 101.3 says it this way, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Because as soon as I put it in front of my eyes, it's coming into my mind, and it's now going to affect what comes out of my life. So the real question is, what are you putting into your mind? What are you feeding it? Listen, I know that none of you would ever call up two couples and invite them over to your house and say, hey, you know, we're just going to sit on the couch, and you guys just have adultery right here in front of us. You would never do that. But every time we watch a TV show that has it in there, that's exactly what we're doing. You would never invite somebody to come over, to, hey, come over to the house Friday night, and do, do a couple spells for me, do some incantations. Why don't you rise up some spirits right here in my house? You would never do that. But every time we watch a movie that has that in there, that's exactly what we're doing. You wouldn't pack up your blanket and your soda and go over to somebody else's house and sit on their couch. And just be like, All right, you guys just have your little family drama and fight right here in front of me so I can just kind of watch and be entertained by your dysfunction. But so many of the reality TV shows that are so popular today, that's exactly what we're bringing into our homes, into our minds. You're feeding it in, and that garbage in is going to put garbage out. So how do we prepare ourselves to destroy sinful strongholds in our minds? Stop stockpiling garbage by bringing it in through your eyes and your ears and start stocking your arsenal with the divine power of God's word so that you're equipped and you have what you need to actually destroy the strongholds rather than building them up higher. I am in a spiritual war of the mind, and I need the power of God's truth. I am in a spiritual war. You are in a spiritual war of the mind, and I need God's truth. I need the power, the divine power of God's truth to tear down those strongholds, to give me victory. So first, we have to wage spiritual war. We have to get in the fight. Number two, we have to destroy the, the strongholds of lies with the truth of God's word. But then there's a third thing that Paul touches on that's equally, if not more important here at the end. Let's pick it back up in verse five. He says, take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Point number three, completely submit to Christ. Completely submit to Christ. There at the end of verse 5 where he says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. That, that phrase there, obey Christ, was actually kind of a, a synonym or a phrase, you would, if you will, that Paul would use to mean salvation. Right? 
He's saying, literally, we're taking every thought and we're submitting it to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. If you don't have faith in Jesus, if you don't have salvation in him, you don't have anything to submit those thoughts to. It has to start with faith. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Notice the order. First, you love Jesus and you put your trust in him, and then you can obey him. The obedience follows salvation. So he says, we're going to take every thought captive to obey Christ in salvation. He says, and then we're going to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So again, let's put this in context. What Paul is saying is that you, the Corinthian church, when the church as a whole understands and obeys the gospel and embraces God's truth, then those who are still refusing will be obvious and will deal with them then. We'll punish their disobedience, but first we have to find a common obedience in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same is true for each of us. Victory over sin in your life, in your heart, in your mind will not come, cannot come until you first submit that heart and that mind to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It starts with you confessing and believing, yes, I'm a sinner. As Paul said, I am flesh. I am broken. I am rebellious against God, and I can't fix it. I can't save myself. I I don't have enough power or strength. I don't have the right weapons. I don't have enough human devices to get myself out of this sin pit that I live in. I need help. I need God's help. And God helped by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to come and to be born as a human, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die for your sin. He died his perfect life given for your sinful life so that he could take you out of that pit and give you victory and strength and and power to overcome these strongholds in your life. And he was killed and he was buried and three days later he rose back to life to show you he has the power you need and to offer you salvation, grace, forgiveness if you'll put your faith in him and him alone. So it has to start there. And if you haven't done that yet, I encourage you, take that first step today. Put your faith in Jesus and let him change your life and deliver you from the strongholds that you suffer from. When you have the spiritual weapons I'm sorry, then you will have the spiritual weapons that you need to destroy the sinful strongholds of your mind. They come through him. Before you can give Jesus control of your mind, you have to give him control of your heart through faith. It's kind of like dominoes. We all play with dominoes, right? You set them all up and you push the first one. You don't have to touch the rest of them, right? You hit the first one, and the first one knocks down the second, triggers the next, triggers the next, triggers the next. Salvation is the first domino. Once you put your faith in Jesus, he starts working in your heart, and the heart triggers the mind, and the mind triggers the life, and things just keep changing. 
We use this phrase in counseling a lot. I do what I do because I think what I think because I want what I want. Track that there. Track that whole progression, right? I do what I do because I think what I think. Our lives, our actions, our behaviors are simply an outflow of our minds. You act the way you do. You say the things you say. You go the places you go because of what your mind thinks and leads you to do. And our minds are controlled by the desires of our heart. What the heart desires is what the mind does. And so when Jesus has your heart, your desires change, and then your mind changes, and then your life changes. I am in a spiritual war that, I, that can only be won by submitting to Christ. We're going to do a lot of work over the next several weeks looking at and destroying common strongholds in our lives. Those besetting sins, those things that just keep plaguing you over and over and over. You just can't seem to get rid of it. We're going to address those, but we can't address those until first you are 100% given over to Jesus Christ. Then you'll have access to the power you need to deal with strongholds. Whoever controls my mind controls my life. Give Jesus control today, right now. If you've never done that, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, right now is the time. Listen, let me just, let's just, let's just level the playing field for a second. We all have sin in our lives that we just can't seem to shake. Every one of us has one or more of those besetting sins that just, no matter what you do, no matter how tr- hard you try, no matter how many things you, you work on, they just don't seem to go away. And that's because they are rooted in a stronghold of your mind. And the only way you're going to get free from those sins is to deal with the stronghold first. And then you can walk in victory over those things. The sinful behavior won't stop until the strongholds are torn down. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be using the truth of God's word to tear down strongholds in our minds and to see God do a new thing and take new spiritual ground in our lives as a result. Stand with me. We're going to pray. We're going to respond to the Lord.